0: This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Listen to this. For decades, scientists have warned of extreme weather.
1: More extreme, and climate change was here, and we're living through it now. We don't have any more time.
0: People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? If we don't have the guts to take on the fossil fuel industry and tell them that their short-term profits are not more important than the future of this planet, and I got to tell you, according to the scientists, the world that we're going to be leaving our kids and our grandchildren is going to be increasingly unhealthy and uninhabitable. And I think we have a moral responsibility to make sure that does not happen. That was not scaremongering or hyperbole. That was President Joe Biden, Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg, and U.S. Senator from Vermont Bernie Sanders on the current state of the world's climate. Longer fire seasons here in California, stronger and more frequent hurricanes, longer droughts, bigger floods. A planet that is heating up is a major contributor to that. And we know that the planet is heating up because of human activity. So what can you or I do about it?
1: Okay, Father Ian, this is playing with food. What does playing with food have to do with climate change? Please explain.
0: Well, because we all have to eat, which means we all have to cook. And most cooking methods generate CO2. But former San Luis Obispo City Council member Aaron Gomez has found some low-carbon ways in his playing with food.
1: I'm Aaron Gomez, and what I do, well, there's two parts. I have a jewelry store, so I do that, and then... Me and my family, meaning my brother and mother, have started this permaculture adventure, which is basically we're starting with kind of soil regeneration to eventually turn into a future farm of sorts, but starting more with the
0: homestead. Okay, so where are we?
1: That's another tricky one. I don't want to really divulge the specifics because of my work on city council. Right. Uh, It is a slow County, I can tell you that. We are remote in the center of the county.
0: Do planes even fly overhead out here? Yeah, actually, because it's right within a flight pattern. We're here to talk about off-grid cooking. Do you want to show me what that is? Sure, set up. Keep in mind, this is a lot of work in progress, so. Okay. It
1: it is not a refined zone. That's okay. But yeah, we have a few different systems as far as off-grid that we can kind of go through. The solar cooker, as you saw, we've got a rocket stove that super fun to cook on it's got a griddle top on it
0: and then i've got biogas that's so is that very similar to the biodigester that we're using to produce electricity with our garden waste and food waste in slow yep exactly just a a
1: much lower tech version <laughs> <laughs> you can see the digester oh wow It's, uh, it's literally the bottom think of it as the stomach because it's basically just water and whatever goes into it then the top bag is the actual methane. Wow, so you get horse manure from your neighbor. Mm -hmm. It's a primer for, it's basically an inoculant to get the beneficial bacteria growing within the system. Okay. Because when you start, it's just that bottom bag is just water, so it doesn't have anything in it. So then you add, and it's gotta be fresh manure, so you're basically taking the bacteria from the gut of the horse and then putting it into this system and then that starts the process. Until that's creating actual methane, you can't add the food waste or anything else because there's nothing in there to digest it. You, can, you get the bacteria mixes wrong, and then you can start to produce bacteria that creates too much CO2, so then you're not creating methane, so it's kind of a primer scenario. But then once it's making gas, then you can literally put whatever you want into it. How do you then use it? It has sandbags around the whole thing, and it literally just uses gravity to push that out. So I've got it plumbed into here, goes underground. That's just to capture if you get any water in the line. It goes to one central point and you can drain it.
0: But then that goes up into the earth. Okay, and that's kind of like the belchings of the that Yeah, bucket, so anytime that, you that add
1: material, then it spills out. You can basically create a whole kind of leach field, which then will go underground and you can feed your plants directly. Or you can take that, water it down, and then... Feed your plants with it as long as you don't have human manure in there you can put that on plants directly if you add human manure to the scenario then you have to go through a whole leach line system so that you can actually you know strain it correctly
0: so you don't kill yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> we spent millennia trying to figure out how not to kill ourselves <laughs> and it's questionable whether or not we've done a very we've, good job of that we haven't done a very good job <laughs> of it, as this last 18 months has shown that's the methane source yep okay that's for that cooker
1: Here is the solar cooker.
0: Cool. Obviously you can make
1: these things as well fairly easily. This is a particular version. What I like about this one is even if at night I can plug this into a DC source. So since we're all off grid, I've got battery systems where I can literally just plug this in like a DC outlet and use the battery and I can still cook with it at night if I wanted to. So there's a lot of shiny
0: metal. Yep. So the cylinder is where it's being cooked in the center that's where you do the cooking so you you pull the cylinder out and that's where you put your you put your food in there yep what kind of food works and what kind of food doesn't so far you can do
1: just about anything that you would do inside of a normal oven it's just how you do it is a little bit different in the sense of there's no way that you can you know just put a thermometer on it and check it every 20 minutes or so so you have to pull it out but we've done pies in it you can do bread in it you have to accommodate for it being a very small cylinder so if it expands and (laughs) hits the top of it then you're doing a lot of cleaning it's probably great for baguettes (laughs) yeah baguette shaped bread yes exactly certain things are just take longer when i do rice i just do it on the stovetop and then you can reheat it in this if you're doing rice then you can only be doing rice versus if say you wanted to do like a stir fry or a mix or something then you can put the pre-cooked rice in with all the veggies at the same time and then it's all done at one time versus doing multiple layers, which would then take you hours because it takes
0: about 20 to 50 minutes to do a a meal in it. So patience is a virtue.
1: Patience is a virtue.
0: So kind of the opposite of a microwave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, the thing heats up to, I think, 500 degrees. So it's not that it doesn't have the heat to do it. It's just the process of doing it. Then the
0: rocket stove. Is it this little thing that's the stove? Yep. Oh, okay. That makes a little bit more sense. So it's a griddle top.
1: With these things, you can literally, you could cook anything on it. You can you put whatever you want on top of the actual stovepipe. You use this so that it can still vent, obviously, but then this sits on top of that, and then you toss over whatever you want. Oh, wow. For like pan heating and stuff like that like why rocket stoves are beneficial so we already know that wood is carbon neutral
0: this is kcbx central coast public radio and i'm father ian playing with food on issues and ideas i'm exploring different ways to cook off the grid with aaron gomez and he just claimed that burning wood is carbon neutral so is burning wood carbon neutral i looked into this and there is a push to make that true The European Union and the United Kingdom have declared burning wood as carbon neutral in efforts to help meet their emissions targets. The U.S. EPA under the previous administration made a move to do a similar thing, however the current EPA administrator does not agree. What's the issue? Trees store carbon dioxide. They need it, like humans need oxygen. When a tree is cut down, it no longer stores that CO2. When it is burned, it produces CO2 and other gases. So what's going on with Aaron's rocket stove?
1: So we already know that wood is carbon neutral. This is a more efficient way to burn wood. Now you're creating a greater efficiency for creating heat from that wood, because all this uses is kindling. But because of the J-tube style of how it pulls in air, it just burns the wood at a higher heat. So then you're using less of it to cook whatever you want to. Versus a big barbecue,
0: there's no airflow coming in. You're literally just using the wood itself. Efficiency, that's the key for Aaron's rocket stove. And in a conversation about this very subject with Minnesota Public Radio back in 2019, University of Minnesota professor emeritus Jim Boyer said that if someone's living in a rural area and they have a stand of trees on their land or close by and available, there's no environmental reason not to use that wood as a source of energy. And that's the situation that Aaron is living in. When you want to use this, what are the steps to use this? That's your burn trap. Literally just start a fire in there.
1: Then you throw a couple pieces of kindling. So this is the size of stuff that I burn. And it can be smaller, it can be bigger. You literally just throw a few pieces of that and then you close this. And this is where it sucks in air. So then it's pulling in air because of the heat system. And then the heat is obviously coming up the vent. For this, it hits the griddle top, heats the griddle top, and then vents out that way. And there's a million different versions of rocket stoves. This is kind of a camp pre-built model, but you can literally build them out of anything you want. The whole idea is just to have a J. The burn chamber basically comes vertical. It sucks the air in, and then you have a burn chamber here, and then it goes up. But because of that burn chamber, that's what creates the efficiency component. I noticed that it is outdoors. So do you do all your cooking outdoors? Except for the methane cooker goes into the yurt. I want to build like a full outdoor kitchen to do all this stuff because you can imagine out here in the middle of summer, cooking inside the yurt just heats up the yurt. Yeah, I was
0: wondering what the temperature was going to be today. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Fortunately, you did not come out on the last heat wave we just had. Yeah. Then it's quite a bit hotter. But as you can tell, it's still pretty warm
0: in the sun. Can we see the methane stove? Yeah. Oh, so that's just a basic, yeah.
1: It's a normal, and you can convert normal propane to use biogas.
0: That's just really basic. It's just it's a basic stove, just using a different, mm-hmm. a different, uh, a different fuel. Yep. It's um, not as high tech as I thought it was going to be.
1: No, it's <laughs> it's the polar opposite of high tech. It is low tech. <laughs>
0: It was really funny because I was telling somebody, like, I'm going to do all this off-grid cooking, and he's got a cooker that runs off methane gas coming off of biofuel. And I'm like, I can hardly wait to see that. That's so cool. (laughs) And it's a camp stove. Yeah, yeah, quite (laughs) literally. You can get a two burner if you want. Okay. You have an unlimited supply of sun and wood. How much of a supply do you have of the biogas? So with this system that
1: I currently have, they say you can cook two hours per day.
0: Okay. And how much maintenance does it require?
1: Zero. Other than you got to obviously feed it.
0: That's what I meant. How much maintenance in terms of feeding
1: it? Yeah. Oh, I mean, maybe, you know, it takes all of 10 minutes in the sense of now that it's up and running, once you get it started. To get it started, you're adding manure almost every day. So then you have to have a source of fresh manure because you can't use anything that's over two days old. It doesn't have the right bacteria in it. It goes from anaerobic to aerobic. So, I mean, that's... Kind of getting it going and then doing the piping and everything is the upstart, but considering the infrastructure that you would need for normal gas, it is nothing in comparison to that. And then as far as upkeep, you literally just go out there, whatever food waste you have for the day, you literally just pour it in one end and close
0: it could you use the dry leaves and things that are around you? They don't
1: recommend doing dry leaves because of the digestion system. You're basically adding a more difficult fuel to digest. And since this isn't a system where you can get any of the material that doesn't get digested out, you wanna kind of stick to wet, what they call wet food.
0: And you have enough food waste to keep it going to cook two hours a day.
1: Yeah, between that and then, like I said, with the neighbor having manure, yeah. you can
0: always add just manure if you wanted to, if you're
1: not doing a bunch of cooking or you're not ending up with a lot of green waste. Cause we also do composting on the facility. So I've got worm composting out here. We've got three other compost systems across the way. We use food waste for those as well. It's more just using whatever extra food waste I have and I'm not putting in those systems, I'll throw in this. Are you also growing your own food? Yes. That's our long-term goal is to be fairly self-sufficient when it comes to food production. And then long-term would be to produce enough food to not just feed us, but feed everybody else. We have got plans for this property to have four different agroforests on it. So it'd be dry farmed kind of fruit trees. And then we've got a main crop garden that we just finished that we found feeds the rabbits really well. And the golfers have found they they enjoy it as well
0: you Uh, should reconsider eating meat
1: yeah well my brother (laughs) eats meat so it's going to be up to him to be the rabbit hunter yeah so we've got that going i have a little
0: experimental garden
1: out front of the yurt that i pull stuff from the squash is doing really well so we're at the phase of we're trying to experiment and see you know i've only done backyard gardening in San Luis. Super easy place to grow. You can grow just about anything. Never had to deal with any wildlife taking more than a, a few strawberries here and there. So coming out here and growing, it's literally the polar opposite. Soil's really difficult to grow in. We have to do a ton of soil rehab. You've got wildlife that'll eat just about anything. <laughs> got golfers that we never had to deal with in slow. I'm trying to figure out the systems first before I have this big goal of like, all right, now I'm gonna start putting a ton of time and effort into food production before doing all the experimenting to see, all right, what grows easily or what grows naturally with the soil before rehab, what's gonna take a lot of rehab and then what fits into that cycle as far as food production.
0: This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio, and I'm Father Ian, playing with food on issues and ideas. Aaron Gomez is demonstrating how to cook carbon-free. What's your overall motivation or ethos behind this? Could you be considered a prepper? No, it's not about
1: self-sustaining to remove myself from the world in like some great epidemic that I want to be the only survivor left. It's about reducing your footprint. Something that I learned a lot in the time that I spent on council, and then you, you know, being very environmentally driven, you start to look at all the data points. I, you know, attended tens of conferences. It's interesting to me that during the entire time on council, we never really talked as a, as a council or as city staff or anybody else about soil health. The number one issue that we deal with from a sustainability standpoint is healthy soils, which then also they're doing tons of experiments on carbon sequestration as it goes into healthy soils so my motivation here is like how do you reduce your footprint when daily life is reliant on systems that are inherently unsustainable on a food system that is inherently unsustainable and just the constant consumption that is unsustainable so it's like it looks maybe like a prepper style but it's literally about just reducing your impact because all the things that we purchase have an impact And the further they are away being produced, the bigger the impact is. We can't stand on our pedestal of calling ourselves environmentalists while purchasing all these goods or supporting a food system that is degrading our topsoil. Something that was eye-opening to me, we have, give or take, 55 years of topsoil left at the current rate that we are losing topsoil because of various things, but especially our food system. That should freak people out. So the more systems we can create like this that are smaller, that reduce that impact, that don't make us reliant on these gigantic farms that aren't really concerned about soil health, I think the better overall we are as a species and the planet for that matter. And it's inherently just unsustainable. I mean, you think the the common number is that 40% of our food goes to waste. Not only are we producing something at an unsustainable pace, the majority of it is just going to waste. So why, why are we putting all this time and effort and, you know, this idea that, all right, faster production, bigger machinery, more reliance on inputs. When we're creating stuff that will just end up in a landfill to create methane, which we're all trying to get away from. So you got to try and figure out how to capture them. We've created so much complexity. And this is my version of like, all right, how do I personally create simplicity into where I have enough, but I'm not continually just adding to that cycle. Our way of life Just how we live is unsustainable, but we take it as normal and we even promote it throughout the world. Like, oh, everybody should live this way. We don't have an ecosystem that can support everybody living this way. So we either need to bring our idea of what life should be down with a lower impact lifestyle, or we have to stop pretending like it's okay and nobody else is paying this cost because the rest of the world is paying this cost in a very different lifestyle
0: well, you're living the way people were living when the white people first got to California. Have you consulted with any of the American Indian Native American tribes who still know how to work this particular land? I have not, no.
1: I can't say that I really have an in to that process.
0: Because if more people across the country Mm -hmm. could move to this type of living the people who knew how to do that in the different parts like i said you know it's very easy it's much easier to do here in san luis obispo county than in michigan in december and january right but the native people in michigan did know and did for millennia live in that area and know how to sustain themselves through the seasons yeah i would somewhat argue
1: that this idea that it's easier in california i think it's easier because of our very modernized system of how we truck water around which that in itself is unsustainable when we look at this property why we want to dry farm so much of it is we don't have the water to sustain doing this mass agriculture so we're sucking all these areas dry it creates a nice environment to grow things but as soon as you remove that water component it changes this landscape significantly and to your point i think native americans would have a much better idea of how do you actually farm something in a historically sustainable fashion that we've gotten so far away from.
0: Climate change is real and we all have to do our part, but it's more than just what Aaron demonstrated. I recently discovered that the concept of an individual person's carbon footprint, while coined in the 1990s, was thrown into the common lexicon by the oil giant BP in a 2005 ad campaign. The successful intent was to get the general public to focus on their own carbon footprint and divert attention away from the impact of the fossil fuel industry on climate change. Yes, together we can achieve a lot as individuals, but don't be fooled. We cannot offset the powerful polluting of global industries. Aaron is doing his small part to reduce his contribution to a warming planet. Perhaps he's inspired you to make some changes. He also showed me new ways to geek out when playing with food. This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.